and today is a prophecy regarding Ephraim who has held hands with Syria and now the Israelites their state uh, is unable to escape from their evil cycle and if if your state enters into evil cycle you have to do whatever it takes to change that into a good cycle but as you live your life with Jesus there are many times where these times of danger will come and we need to keep allowing this circulation of evil to be transformed to circulation of good of righteousness and it's when you live with the Holy Spirit and as long as you live with the Holy Spirit the more you maintain then that righteousness circulation will happen well but if not it will be evil circulation and so this is the secret for you to help uh, go into deep fellowship with God and in the same way right now Israel has entered into this right, uh, evil circulation uh, being polluted by the world and so constantly being in what's it called uh, idolatry and they lack the knowledge of God they lost the knowledge of God so as I said even though the word is being proclaimed to them they're unable to receive that word they're unable to hear the word even though it's being proclaimed to them and as that happens God who should be the king of Israel and they should be relying upon him alone and yet now instead they are dependent on the world and they think that they became a strong nation because they had money because they they gathered up resources and so they think they think based on their actions based on their works rather than living by grace and so they get even more stronger influenced by the world and they get stronger in that that sense of my works rather than grace and so this evil cycle continues it goes on and on and on and so when this evil cycle begins we really need to catch it for example let's say that you can't start you can't pray all of a sudden you should not just be like oh I can't pray it's too hard to pray and then give up no you got to do whatever it takes to change that evil cycle back to a, a, a cycle of righteousness many times the reasons why you're unable to pray is because let's say for example it's your cell phone or it's, it's a computer or or it's, it's something then then you need to fast those things and maybe it's your relationship with people you need to take time off to to uh, be alone with God because you need to take whatever uh, methods you can to be able to uh, live live as uh, with God and so you know it's not as if I tried to get rid of my cell phone but I think that God is calling me and t and so and so get taking this cell phone away from me because because you know for for the uh, recent past my cell phone has been always by my side because I had to read all these text messages I had to receive all these phone calls it's, it's, it's tiring as it is even reading in Korean but then I also get text messages in English and Chinese And so I need to spend more time with God, but rather than spending more time with God, I keep spending more time with people. And so when it comes to ministry, of course, ministry is grace from God and it's something that we're grateful to God. But ministry shouldn't be the focus. And, and, and many times, because of ministry, we have to meet with people, right? We have to deal with people. That is what ministry is all about. It's about serving other people. And, and that is true and it is a gift from God and we're grateful. But... But if this becomes, uh, if this takes the place with my fellowship with God, then we can't help but stop these things. So what do you think about this? What do you think about this? 
Let's say that your spiritual state is not good, and yet you're still continuing in your ministry, continuing to minister to people. How do you think? That's 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 not a good thing. And so, primarily, primarily, you need to separate yourself from that situation, and that is probably the best um, best prescription for that kind of case. Don't allow that that kind of state to just continue to grow. And so uh, this Israel who has been caught in this evil cycle, every moment, every moment they're spending this time in this evil. And so they get to this point where they can no longer recognize their sin. And no longer do they have even a relationship with God. And so ultimately what happens, they need to be separated. That 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 is the worst situation. And so whether it's Israel or to the church, we might be in the same state. And that's what you can see in the church these days. And so I beg of you that you would make sure that your relationship with God is first. And that, and that in that relationship, you have this righteous cycle circulating within you. This is really important. And so... Uh, now Israel and now they came to this point where the covenant is broken and so as we and so let's look at chapter 5 verse 8 to verse 15 and this is talking about the war between north and south right north Israel and southern Judah that this warfare in itself isn't just a warfare out of out of need or out of greed but this warfare itself is judgment from God Okay, so this is the warfare between Syria and Ephraim. And we can see another picture of this in Isaiah 7, I think. I believe it's Isaiah 7. And in Isaiah 7, we see King Ahaz, who is the, who is the center. And God God uh, proclaims the, judge, or the prophecy to, in the perspective of southern Judah. But now this is the prophecy, same prophecy in the perspective of northern Israel. So in BC 752 to 53, um, we don't know exactly what happened, but but there were two two different wars. Okay, so the uh, in the first war, uh, southern Judah suffered, and so in the second war, that's why southern Judah requested help from Assyria. And then, so through that, uh, it caused it, 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 it um, what's it called? It snowballed. But so, King Uzziah and also Jeroboam the uh, second, Israel and Judah were going through a golden age, right? But it wasn't because of their own strength, but rather in this time frame, in the area of Assyria and Egypt. Uh, both of these, both of these countries were dealing with their own internal problems, and so they were unable to deal with uh, southern Judah and northern Israel. And so, southern Judah and northern Israel uh, ex- enjoyed prosperity. And during that time, they should have uh, been humble. They should have expressed their humility, saying that this is a time of respite. But instead of receiving it as a time of respite, they considered it out as their strength, that their luck, that their, that their that they were somehow superior and so now the time is coming where Assyria and Egypt is rising up again and so and so honestly if you look at the history of the world ultimately you can see that that the history of the world moves according to the spiritual state of Judah the spiritual state 
of Israel. No matter what the world may do, whatever they try to do, ultimately it's all in God's hands. They, 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 they strive and they struggle against God's anointed, but the, God just scoffs at them. And so as children of God and as the church of God, what, what we need to understand is that our influence is, 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 is exponential, that we are at the center of history. And the same thing, why is the Korean Peninsula important right now? Even though there is no prophecy regarding the Korean Peninsula in, in the Bible, and yet why? Because this Korean Peninsula, st what stands here, what stands here is the church of God. And as the church of God stands here, how holy that church is, Will determine how much more, um, how much more the world will um, move around this Korean Peninsula. And so, you know, why do you think I'm doing all these conferences? It's not because of my my will, but God is trying to raise up His church here. He's trying to raise up His church so that we can have this kind of of conference that can serve the remnant all over the world. And even right now, you know, that's why we're broadcasting these these conferences all over the world. And on top of that, when we go further and further, we want to continue to grow to 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 be able to serve the remnants all over the church and all over the all over the Korea and all over the world and so when you're sitting here you're not just sitting here as an individual you're sitting here as a representative representative of at the very least the spiritual state of Korea so you have the burden of of the spiritual state of Korea at the very least and so you being purified it's not just going to end with you that influence isn't just going to end with you I'm not trying to flatter you I'm not trying to puff airs into you this is real this is real I'm just speaking the fact the spiritual fact that's going on here and so that's why you need to give your lives to receive grace because your grace that you receive doesn't just influence you but influences the entire peninsula you may think to yourself, what does me being blessed here have to do with unification? But honestly, it's connected. It's connected. Because right now, spiritually, you are becoming brighter then, then it, would you believe that you becoming brighter, you becoming more purified, it has a direct correlation with what's going to happen to Kim Jong-un in, in North Korea? You probably wouldn't believe, but that there is truth to this. You are not insignificant in history. You are great. And, and it's not doesn't depend on how large your church is, how many people are in your church. No, that's not what matters. Because look, look at the Bible. Look at all the great um, men of faith. How many of them were amazing in the sight of the world? No, they were all, they were all moving in the background because God was holding on to them, right? Right, look at even John the Baptist, John the Baptist who was wearing camel's hair and eating eating locusts and wild honey. And yet and yet what did he do? He moved the entire Roman Empire. And so the kingdom of heaven, the history of God, always always moves through people who are dedicated to God. All these people who are obedient to God and they may not they may not be um, made manifest in, 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 in the consciousness of the people of society, but there's always these men of God that God is moving through history. And honestly, yeah, anyways. And so Assyria is starting to rise up once again under the reign of Tiglath-Pileser III. 
believe it was around uh, 738 to 727 BC. I'm not entirely sure, but, but his reign. And during his reign, um, and so Tiglath Pileser III comes, and at that time, there's a man named Menahem who becomes king of North Israel. And and then Shalom uh, Okay, no, Shalom was king and then Menahim uh, oh no, Pekaya and then Pekaya takes kingship from Shalom after Menahim and then after Pekaya it becomes Pekah Pekah around 7 746 and then from here, when he becomes, when Pekka becomes king, he gets supported by Egypt, and and as he gets supported by Egypt, he holds hands with the king of Syria, the king of Damascus, to fight against um, Assyria. And they try to bring southern Judah, King Ahaz, into their alliance, to so that they can resist uh, Assyria. And so they, but Ahaz uh, didn't want to take part in this alliance, right? And so before attacking Assyria, uh, first Syria and northern Israel attacked Judah. This is described in Isaiah 7. And then so what happens? Southern Judah, King Ahaz requests help and assistance from uh, Tiglath-Pileser III. And with that context, with that pretext, Assyria comes to attack Syria and Palestine. And so what happens? Okay, uh, Reshin dies. King Reshin of Damascus dies. And then Pekah gets killed as well. And then lastly, it becomes King Hoshea of northern Israel. And they get into this relationship where they have to be tributary to Assyria. And at first, Hosea uh, serves Assyria, but then rises against the king of Assyria through the support of Egypt. And then Shalmaneser the fifth, com or the the fifth, comes in 722 BC, 722 to 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 attack Israel. But he doesn't finish because he dies at 722, and so his successor, Sargon V, uh, Sargon V finishes the work to destroy northern Israel. He finally captures Samaria at 722, BC 722. So, so getting the outline of history is important. And then afterwards, there's King Hezekiah left in southern Judah, and they're tributary to, to Assyria after, after losing several battles. <clears throat> and so because they lose the purity of the faith in God, they go here and they go there, look for help from here, look help from there. 
this isn't only Israel's problem. It's us as well. If we are corrupted in our faith, then we're going to rely on other things. We're going to try to rely on this, try to rely on that, thinking that these things I can I can base my life on. And yet, and yet, as men of God, we should be relying upon God. We should be dependent on God. And God will un unfold our lives. As men of God, we should not uh, believe that the world can do anything for us. If we are to die, then then I'd rather die in God's hands, right? That that's 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 the attitude that we should have. And so instead of going to Assyria here today, and then Egypt tomorrow, and then the next day going back to Assyria, and it's the same thing with the church. Right? The church should be centered on God and have that pure faith. And if so, then they will never uh, be ashamed before the world. The world cannot determine the happiness of the church. And that is really the result of my pastoral ministry. I have never once um, given lordship to the world. No matter how hard our situation was, no matter how much debt piled up, I never acknowledged the world's methods and the world as, as, as lord. And so let's look at today's text. Verse 8. Blow the horn in Gibeah and the trumpet in Ramah. Sound the alarm at Bethaven. And so this is kind of like the image of a watchman, right? As the watchman blows the horn to call Israel to war, he's saying to Israel, be the watchman. Because if Israel was, was vigilant in their watching, they would not have um, failed in this warfare, right? But they failed as a watchman, and so they were surprised. And so blow the horn. And so Gibeah, Ramah, and Beth-Avon. Uh, God is saying that these three cities should be watchmen. And at this time, these three cities were were cities that were very um, um, uncertain because they were on the border between southern Judah and northern Israel, and so they would change hands uh, year on year, and so they were in a situation of uncertainty. And also, at the same time, these cities were on high places. And so they would be perfect places to position watchmen. And so in these places, blow the horn. Why? Because the warfare is coming. And so Gibeah from Jerusalem is about three miles. Ramah is five miles. And then Beth-Avon is 11 miles. So the closest place to southern Judah is where? or no, to Samaria, is Bethel, right? Beth, and then Ramah, and then Gibeah, right? So so from North Israel's perspective, Gibeah is the closest. And from Southern Judah's perspective, Beth-Avon is closest. And so Hosea is saying, from the closest place, begin to blow the trumpet. Why? Because Assyria is going to attack. And then... And it's not just Assyria who's attacking, but also southern Judah is going to attack uh, the borders of Benjamin. That is what's being prophesied here. And so it goes hand in hand with, 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 with the prophecy of, of Isaiah 7, but the details that are not revealed in Isaiah 7 is revealed here. So we follow you, O Benjamin. And so if you look at the Hebrew text, all it says is Benjamin behind. What does this mean? 
if you look at it from northern Israel's perspective, right, Assyria is attacking, and so because Assyria is attacking, where is the safest place for for the Israelites? It's in the southern place, and so they think that the southernmost part, which is the tribe of Benjamin, is the safest place. But this place is also not going to be safe. Why? Because southern Judah is going to attack. And so, for, for, so they're being attacked on a two fronts, both from the north and from the south. And so look at how amazing the prophecies of prophets are. Assyria, or northern Israel thinks that they could just protect their northern border, but that's not the case. Even from the south, uh, Judah is going to rise up to take back Benjamin. And so... If God has determined destruction, there's nothing man can do to stop it. No matter what they do, they will be destroyed. But if God says you will survive, then no matter what happens, they will survive. No matter what kind of circumstances, they will survive. And so who should we be reliant upon? We should rely upon God. And so that's why from this perspective, as men of faith, we have confidence that Go ahead, take your best shot. Because as long as God says you will li live, then you will live. And let's move on to verse 9. So Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment. Day of punishment. This is the day of warfare, right? The warfare is beginning. Ephraim shall become a desolation. And this word desolation, again, it's not just simply um, suffering loss. Look at, look at Ukraine right now, what's going on there. Could you call that desolation? No, people still live there, right? It's not it's not easy, but they still do live there. But what is desolation? Where can we call desolation? In Syria, in 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 Aleppo, in Aleppo. Uh, he said Damascus, but I believe he means Aleppo. But you know, because Aleppo is completely destroyed, where 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 it's so hard to even live there. Even right now, Israel is continually sending missiles, attacking, attacking uh, bases in Syria. Because lots of Russian ammunition, munitions are going to Syria to support the, uh, the, 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 the regime there. And, and, and so look at, look at how grateful we must be to God that, that he has given us this peace. And now, of course, you know, because of this warfare, there's a lot of hardships that we suffer, right? Uh, prices are going up. Uh, and not only are prices of, for example, gas going up, but also prices of foodstuffs is going up. And so usually, of course, the West is suffering, but, but, but the poor countries are suffering even more, right? And, and of course, this is, this is a tragedy. It's tragic. But, but why is God allowing this tragedy? It's because you got to see the bigger picture of what God is doing in, in the course of history. But anyways... Okay, I don't want to take too much time, so let's let's quickly move on. So, if frame shall become a desolation, Amen. among the tribes of Israel, I make known what is sure. And this is again a terrifying statement that I make known what is sure, saying that this desolation will come to pass. And so, though no one in this world can see it. Whatever they do, ultimately, they are bringing to fruition God's word. And so if they don't know the word of God, then they are bringing the fruition of tragedy, of, of, of doom and of judgment. But if they do know the God of his word, then they are going to blessing and salvation. 
And so, and so like Israel, just as they lived uh, apart from God, as Deuteronomy 28 says, that if you do not keep the covenant, you will suffer. And, and in that way, they are bringing to fruition that very prophecy, right, by being, by be, being led to desolation. And so because they turned away from the word of God, that the word ha that God has spoken to them, they, 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 are bringing, they are bringing brought to doom and destruction, desolation. So look at all the prophets, what they prophesied. They prophesied that, that what kind of desolation, what kind of destruction, what kind of tragedy would come upon the Israelites, you know, being led out as captives, being taken into exile uh, without your clothes, without your shame, or without your dignity. And so, look, in your lives, our, we are blessed when we live according to the word of God and allow the word's blessing to bear fruit in our lives, not when the word's curse bears fruit. Amen. And so, above all else, let us, uh, above all else, our lives will fold according to the word of God. If we do not believe, then in tragedy. If we do believe, then in blessing. Amen. So let us live by in faith in that word. Amen. And so moving on, verse 10. The princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark. And so what does it mean to move the landmark? Because every single uh, clan received an inheritance. They, they were distributed the land. But now Judah, the princes of Judah, the rich ones, the powerful ones, are, are moving the landmark and taking more for themselves. This is great evil in the sight of God, right? They are oppressing the poor. And that's what's going on in southern Judah. And so why all of a sudden in southern Judah? Because, of course, uh, he's, he's proclaiming judgment against against uh, northern Israel but what's going on is also that as God brings his judgment against northern Israel southern Judah is taking advantage of that judgment for their own gain and this is the problem this is the sin because you know you shouldn't you shouldn't gain take advantage of other people's losses and that's what they're doing they're taking back Benjamin and, and they're not distributing it to Benjamin but they're distributing it amongst the princes of Judah So, the, you know, this is Judah's uh, desire to take advantage of Israel's misfortune to take back Bethel. And so this is all God's judgment. But, but I do not have to be a tool for evil, do I? We have to have mercy even if God is judging them. We should, be, we should have a mercy and, and merciful heart towards them. But this all happens. Why? Because they lack knowledge of God. They don't. They don't realize that God loves all twelve tribes of Israel, of Israel, and that they are brothers. And yet they're unable to see that because all they see is themselves. They're not. They lack knowledge of God. So they look to take advantage of even their brother's misfortune, failing to realize that they that this is their brother. So look at look at what wickedness this is that they are willing to take advantage of their brother's weakness of their brother's tragedy. So look at what Jesus says. Jesus says to uh, love your neighbor. But what about Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy doesn't say to love your neighbors. But at the same time, in the law. 
it says to not um, be stand witness uh, against against um, someone's misfortune, right? Right. Uh, to take advantage of it. For example, like usually, if you can take advantage of it, you would you would bring to light someone's secret. But but the Bible says to not even do that. How awesome is the Bible, right? It's awesome to to think about the level of righteousness that the Bible is asking. That if anything would break down relationships, all of those things are considered sin, right? In the world, the world doesn't think about that. They all think about that there is a certain line to keep, and as long as you can take advantage of that line you 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 go back and forth between that line I mean what do you think if you're in a fight don't you have to take every um, advantage available for you to win right if you're in a life and death fight shouldn't you shouldn't you do whatever it takes to be victorious okay that's Satan's way oh so you're calling me Satan then <laughs> Now look, I, I know I'm using an extreme example, but that's actually the way people think. Like, I know that my example is really extreme, but if someone is trying to kill me, then the world, the world, the attitude they have is that, that, that better you than me, right? That is the attitude of the world, better you than me. And so that's the problem with politics. And so I beg of you pastors, don't don't participate in politics. Uh, don't get into politics because politics is a dog-eat-dog -dog world. The, the culture of politics itself is a dog-eat-dog -dog world. And so so please, please, I beg of you, don't be, don't get into politics. If you have a politician even in your family uh, that, that causes a lot of uh, hardships in your family because 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 the spirits that are that are coming and and you have to fight against those spirits but but it's so hard um i am kyungju kim clan and the reason why this clan is so is so um bad is because this clan were like was the clan of kings during the time of sheila and so as they were kings during the time of Sheila, the Sheila kingdom, they were, um, they, they were polluted by so much, um, what's it called? Anger, angst, and, and repression. And, 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 and um, anyways. And what about, what about during the, um, um, during the recent kingdom, right? It's Chunju, Chunju Lee clan. What about you? You are Andong Kim clan. Andong Kim clan is also same. Great political power, right? You're, you're also very dangerous. Yeah, the Korean last names are based on clans. And these clans had um, various uh, historical privileges throughout the kingdom times. So I, I'm sure you have something similar in Swaziland, right? So verse 11, Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment because he was determined to go after filth. And so if you look at this in the Hebrew, you got to kind of turn it upside. Uh, so English is proper. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment. 
What does this mean? So finally, uh, as southern Judah takes advantage of the misfortune of their brothers, uh, uh, finally we see Ephraim being crushed. And so this judgment is mishpat, which means God has determined. And so God has determined to not only judge Ephraim, but also southern Judah. And that's what we need to understand, that it's all in God's hands. And if God lays a decision, there's nothing man can do. And so we need to have that attitude that, that it's all in God's hands. It's not because of my efforts. It's not because of my self-determination. But that is His love and His grace that we are reliant upon, that we are dependent upon. Because if He lays His decision, that 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 that's is going to happen. And so, as long as we follow after His will, then then we will seek His mercy, we will seek His grace. But for the most part, for the most part, the best thing you can do is to respect God's decision, to just submit to God's decision, no matter what the world may say, no matter what the world may do, to acknowledge and submit God's will. And so, pastors, as I gather with you, this is the most important thing that I that I consider, right, is, is calling. If God has called me, then at the very least, I will serve you with everything that I have done because God has called you. And so what's important is to receive that calling in faith, receiving God's determination and moving according to His will. But if you doubt His calling and then you think that, oh, then I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to make this connection, I got to make that connection in order to survive, then, then that is going to cause problems. As long as God has led that decision, then ultimately, ultimately, if God tells me that determination, I'm never going to, I, I don't think I've ever brought that prayer back up because, because how can I change God's mind? Now, of course, there are specific times in the Bible where, where we are to uh, cry out to God to change his heart, right? Moses did so, but, but those, uh, those cases were, were, were because God listened to them, but at the same time, that was originally God's heart. God didn't want to kill the Israelites. He wanted to lift them up. And so when Moses cries out to God, uh, he's, he, he is crying out to God in, in the way that God wants. And so anyways, so Mishpat, God's judgment is laid that, that, that he had made that determination. And then so it says here, because, right? In Hebrew, it's the word key, which means because, because he was determined to go after filth or chapter or, or that filth could be translated as to follow human precepts. Right? Because he was determined to go after human precepts. And so why is Ephraim being judged? Why are they being desolated? And so why is verse, why is Ephraim being de depressed, uh, deprived? Why are they being desolate? Because he was determined to go after, or he was determined to follow human precepts. And so, um, and so this word precepts is one of the first times that we see this word. And so another way, and so the better word to say is filth, the, like the English ESV says. And so they're going after Assyria, they're going after Egypt, they're going after all of these worldly strengths, and that is filth. And so the children of God, 
if they f rely upon the world, ultimately the result of that, the result for sure, for surely will be judgment and destruction. When children of God follow after the world, I say for sure, for sure the result of that is failure. Because if it is not failure, then they are not church. They are not children of God then. And so as you do your pastoral ministry, uh, of course with yourself it's important, but also at the same time with your church members. Make sure that as children of God, that they are fully relying upon God. We are in this world simply because we live. We are not in this world to depend on the world. We are not in this world to rely on this world. No, we are just in this world to live in this world. For example, when I have conferences with young, the young adults and it, it, it conflicts with their with their job, then I'll tell them, hey, ask for time off. And if they can't get time off, then quit your job. Because honestly, your job is not more important than your spiritual life. There's nothing in this world that can command you, that can that can tell you, that can control you to to, to that is so important that it, you should allow them to control you. And so Primarily, most pastors in this world act as if the world is more important, right? They think that they think that you know your job is the most important thing. They think that that, that living in this world is the most important thing. They think that that your no, reputation in this world is the most important thing. Many pastors treat the world this way, but that's not the case. As children of God, that's not the case. I'm not saying this lightly. I know that this is a hard thing, but what I'm saying is, don't give lordship to the world. I say this all the time. I say this to my business, uh, to the businessmen at our church. If they have a partnership, if they have partnership with big companies at like Samsung in our ch in, the, in in Korea, I tell them, dude, don't don't put importance on that. Make sure that you can at any time cut off the relationship. Make sure that you are always in control. And so it's the same thing here. Northern Israel, today they go to Assyria, tomorrow they go to Egypt. And so they're getting, they're going gathered around. But now look at Daniel. Daniel is the prime minister of, of Babylon. He has all the authority in the world. And yet, even though he's in the center of that power and authority, he never uses that power of authority. He lives by God and he lives by the wisdom of God. Look at how amazing that is. This, this man, Daniel, and this is the image that Christians should have. And so in your church, don't allow, don't tolerate even one bit, don't utter even a single word that, that, would, that, 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 that your church members might be um, mistaken to receive that the world controls me. Don't allow the world to control you at all. We are in this world because we live in this world, but the world does not control us. Right, God is responsible for us. Is the world going to be responsible for us? And then you may, they may say, but this is such a good job. What are you talking about? Is there such a good job that is better than, than God? There was this deacon, there's this deacon at our church who has, or he, he is still here. And he, he was working for Samsung. And not only was he working for Samsung, but he was in a high position because he had professorship, right? He had, he had a doctorate. And, and I, and but I saw that his life was getting ruined, and, and and so and so even though he invested so much time so that he could he can get into Samsung, I told him to quit. Right? Think about it. He got a doctorate's degree just so that he could get into, a, so that he could get a job in Samsung, and he finally got that job. And then I told him to quit, and and he quit. 
And you would think that, oh, because he was obedient, he was blessed, right? But he suffered for 10 years, 10 years suffering. It's only now that he's starting to finally see why God asked him to, to quit. But, but look, look, when God is in control, God is the one who's going to take responsibility. It's now, finally, 10 years after he quit that job, that he's finally being revolutionized in his being. How much so that all these air conditioners in these buildings have been cleaned by him. <laughs> he is the handyman of our church right now. <laughs> but that's how much he was transformed. He is a doctor. He has a PhD, right? And he was in a high position in Samsung. And what is he doing at our church? He's cleaning the air conditioner. But what? But look, he is happy because his family res, um, relationship was restored. He is reconciled to his wife. He is reconciled to his children. Right? That. What is more important? The world is is worthless. The world will will burn away tomorrow. And so Ephraim chose chose filth. And so let's move on to verse twelve. But I am like a moth to Ephraim. And like dry rot, dry rot to the house of Judah. I think this is probably the only place in the Bible where God compares himself to moth and to dry rot. There's nowhere where God is compared as a rot, as moth, is there? Maybe, I don't know, but I don't think so. Probably not. I mean, they've called Israel like a worm, but I don't think, I don't think any prophet has ever called God as a dry rot or moth. But, but why does God describe himself this way? Because if we live by God alone, then my spirit is always rejoicing in God. It's always rejoicing in the Lord. Whether my circumstances is good or not, it doesn't matter. If they're a person of God and they live by God, they rejoice in the Lord. Right? That the, that the joy of the Lord continually bursts forth inside of them. And so, and so, of course, it's not always just their spiritual things loosening, but, but they, have this, they have this joy of salvation, this joy of salvation, not because the world has done something to me, not because I possess something, not because something is, do, is going well for me. No, I just have this confidence because of this joy of salvation that, that I am righteous before God. And, and so some people may receive the word in faith without this without this feeling but when they have this but when they receive that word in joy this feeling will come upon them this satisfaction that that when I'm in God I am satisfied right that he satisfies my soul whether I have money or not whether I'm suffering or not I'm satisfied why because what more do I need what more do I need I don't need anything it's the same thing with food right you can there are times where you enjoy food right and it's really delicious and you eat it but but then there's also people who eat very ascetically, right? Uh, for example, you know, there's people who can eat food deliciously, but then there's also people who, who stuff their face, right? They stuff their face, not because they're trying to enjoy the food, but rather they're trying to calm down their stress, right? And there's many sisters in our church like this, that, that when they are not satisfied in their soul, they, they just stuff their face. And so this satisfaction, right? 
and so see are you satisfied in your soul right now examine yourself do you have that confidence this is the state of being in God but when you are polluted by the world what happens you lose this feeling right you lose this satisfaction it becomes weaker and weaker and this emotion isn't just an issue of emotion it's not just your emotion but this this joy this confidence this satisfaction what does it what does it signify it signifies that my intellect emotion and will is freely moving in god it means that the holy spirit can reign over me without resistance and so these emotions are not insignificant things you when we see these things we can see what kind of state we are in spiritually and so for example these kinds of people when they pray their prayer will be powerful right when they're in worship the presence of the Lord would be powerful would be amazing right but conversely if we flip this on the opposite side, let's say that they are influenced by the world and they're relying upon God then this emotion dies it withers their prayer dies and the, and the worship becomes common the worship becomes becomes ordinary right and that's not what the Holy Spirit wants and so and so and so back in the day, it was so easy to be under self-control. It was easy to, to cut these things off. But now it becomes harder and harder and harder. It means that there is resistance in your free will towards God. And so if you compromise with these things, if you keep leaving these things alone, then living with God becomes meaningless to you. And you get to the point where the time and the money that you give to God becomes becomes uh, worthless to you, becomes becomes a waste to you. And, and so you start to think that is my money, my time, my things. And so if you don't live by God, this is what this is the progress that will happen. But the problem here is that because because you have this religious upbringing, you still live in that religion, right? But what happens to that religion? That religion becomes syncretic, syncretic, uh, syncretic. And as that religion becomes syncretic, what happens? You get falling into deception. You get falling into into just forms and 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 ritual. And what happens? That binds your life, thinking that you are righteous. Think about who God is. God is Almighty God. He is the creator of the universe. The worship that we are lifting up to Him, how can that worship be compared to anything in this world? It cannot be. And so when that worship becomes that ordinary, that's where the curse begins. And so as this builds up and builds up and builds up, as I mentioned earlier, you enter into that evil cycle. And so, throughout the New Testament, there are many places where it expresses like this. And so, let's look at let's look at a couple places. And so, turn to Ephesians. Okay, four. Fourteen, four, fourteen. It says, um, so that we may not toss to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And so, what happens to them? Uh, Eighteen. Um, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Sorry, it was verse eighteen, four eighteen. So what happens? Uh, they they are darkened, and because they are darkened, they are alienated. And because they are alienated, what happens? They are hardened. And when they are hardened, what happens? 
they they are separated from the life of God. And as they're separated from the life of God, what happens? They're unable to receive the mercy that flows from God's grace. So in continuing, verse 19, they have become callous and I've given them. And so because they are callous, they can no longer feel God. This is This is the progress that goes on. Having given themselves up to sensuality, which what does that mean? They have no self-control that all the desires of the flesh, they live based on their desires of their flesh. Uh, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This means that you are disarmed. We should be disarming the enemy, but we are disarmed by, by this callousness. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Right? Impurity right, is looking after the desires of the flesh. And so, and so even in the New Testament, uh, this, the, the, it, we can see the influence of the revelations of the prophets. That, that the revelations of the apostles are all confirmation of the revelations of the prophets. And so, we must not enter into this evil cycle. Amen? Let us, let us keep wary of that evil cycle. And so, what verse are we on? Verse 12. And so, when they get to this state, what happens? God becomes a burden to them. The God's word becomes burdensome. And so there, the, these ritual uh, actions of religion becomes burdensome. And so as I said, to these kinds of people, what becomes comfortable in their ministry? It bec syncretism becomes, becomes comfortable. Why uh, take this burden and repent and mourn before God? But rather, wouldn't you rather just bribe God with this offering right and you would think that that's, that becomes easier to this kind of person you know just go sin throughout the week and on Sunday come and offer your dues pay your payment and say God take this and forgive me and you and so this makes you uh, think that you are living this kind of good life but but if you get into this part right it, right religion becomes a burden what do you mean what do you mean purity who cares about purity or holiness i want to just live and then ask for god's forgiveness because he is merciful you know but but you cannot you cannot you do not want to live a life that demands righteousness that demands holiness that demands purity father don't demand purity from me I'll just give you my offering I, I will pay you my monthly dues my membership fee and so if you want to be and so many churches say that you know to the pastors if you want to be a pastor of our church for a long time make sure to treat us nice and we'll, we, we'll employ you for a long time that's the wrong figure that's the wrong thing right important thing is to remove that kind of attitude remove that reliance on the world so don't look at me as if i am special or i am uh particularly harsh or i am hard-lined no no this is god's will it's god's purpose it's god's way I've never, uh, and you may think that I'm hardline and I'm I, I'm beating my church members to to submission. No, it's not me. I'm not the one who ca I'm not the one who catches them. I'm not the one who slaughters the sheep. God slaughters the sheep. 
And so don't, I'm, I'm, so what am I saying to you, pastors? Don't be, t- you don't have to be like me where, where you know, you're, cap- you're capturing all, the, all your sheep. But at the same time, that doesn't mean you should just let your sheep do whatever they want. Right, you, you gotta, but wait for them, wait for them, and and how long? I don't know. It, it depends. God, God, is always depending, but you gotta watch for what God is doing. And so, you know, in our church, there are some churches who are in our church. There are some people who've been in our church for so long, and yet they don't have a relationship with me. And they need to recognize that they are dangerous, right? That that is dangerous. And yet, they fail to recognize that. They fail to recognize that. So moving on to verse 13. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king. What do you think? Do you think that this was wise? No, this was not wise. Right? God's judgment came through Assyria, right? So Ephraim and Judah, through this suffering, they should have seen their, they saw their sickness, they saw his wound, right? And yet, what was the conclusion that they came to? Oh, if we want to survive, we need strength. That without money, we can't survive. Oh, the church needs money. The church needs more members who can offer more money. And so they are seeing their weakness through their own lenses, through their own standards. And so even though they receive suffering from God, they're unable to repent. Still, they choose something else. Still, they choose a person. Still, they choose to rely on the world. Oh, it's because I don't have money. It's because my father was poor. So what, what does this mean? It means that they are continuing in that judgment. When you have this suffering, you need to be able to see God's purpose. But they're unable to see God's purpose. And rather, they continue to rely even more on God or on the world. And so whether it's King Pekah or King Hoshea, what do they do? They keep relying on either Egypt or Assyria still. And so Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king. And so this great king is probably alluding to Tiglath-Pileser III. And so they're saying, give us strength so that we can resist Egypt. And then it's the same thing within Hosea, right? That, that they went to the great king, to the great king they, they called out, they plead. And so they think that Assyria is strong, so they turn to Assyria, but then Assyria loses to Egypt, and then so they, they suffer because they were holding hands with the wrong guy. And then later they think that Egypt is strong, and so they hold hands with Egypt to stand against Assyria, but Assyria is stronger. And so look, look at this. If you fall after the world, there is no, there is no knowing what's going to happen. And so as pastors, as pastors, you need to look at the world and treat it as if it's nothing, as it's insignificant. And let your faith stand firm in God. If you hold hands with the world, you, you, you will lie. You cannot, you cannot overcome the world by holding hands with the world. It may seem successful at first. It could. But he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. And so they go to these great nations around them. But can they heal them? Can they solve their wound? They cannot. The world cannot. And at the same time, the enemy is not going to 
uh, fall for your fall for your pleas. It's not going to have mercy on you. And so the best option to us is to live with God. Amen. That is the only way to live. Amen. So let's continue verse 14. For I will be like a lion to a friend. So going beyond that, in all this suffering, what we need to understand is that God God is the one who did it. And that's what that's what they should have seen. That's what they should have realized, that God gave them the suffering. And so what can Assyria, what can Egypt do to stand against the will of God? They cannot. Only God can cure them. Only God can heal them. Only God can renew them. And, and so God gave them suffering. And then what should you do? Instead of relying on the world, instead of looking for the world for solution, you should look for your solution with God. And so... I will be like a lion to Ephraim. Who is the lion? Lion is supposed to be the Judah of lion. And when the lion, uh, when you look in the wilderness, when the lion determines to eat something, no one's going to stop that lion, right? No one's going to come in the way of, in between the lion and his prey. None of the animals go against the lion when, they, when it determines something to be a prey. Right? And so it's the same thing. When the world enters into you, what happens is you lose this reverence towards God. The Word of God, when it enters into us, we have reverence. And so reverence and your faith life needs to go hand in hand. If you lack reverence towards God, then what you need to understand is that the world is entering into you. And many times we are deluded. When the world enters into us, what happens to our set of values is that we don't think that God alone. No, we think God and also this. God and also uh, I need education. God and also money. If, if it was God, we, if we lived by God, we would understand that God alone and in God alone is my blessing, is my life. But when the world enters into you, you start to look down on God. You start to... Um, think that not only God, but I also need people. Not only God, but I also need this backing. I also need this foundation. I need these kinds of things. And so, look at your standard. Look at yourself. Examine yourself. Am I truly worshiping God? Do I truly revere God? Do I truly believe that God alone is the, is the source of everything that I have? And so, and this is, and when you have this reverence towards God, there is an intimacy with God. And that is spiritual authority. And so what is spiritual authority to Israel is that, is that Israel, to them, their father is God, right? And so they should look to the father and they should rely on the father and revere the father. And when they revere that father, then the father will protect that son. But if that, if that reverence is broken and that father... Um, uh, punishes his son then what should that son do that son should appeal to the father not look elsewhere right should appeal to the father and so the reason why the world is growing more wicked and wicked is because this authority that God has established this order that God has established has been broken down think about it look pastor is supposed to be the father of the church right and, and look at the churches in the day in, 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 in this day and age do you see pastors at the head of the church no the pastors are simply simply employees right they, they are they are people that you can fire and hire Really, this world is polluted. It's worthless. Why? Why invest in it? I don't understand why you invest in it. 
And so I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. And there's, there's nothing that can, that can come against the lion and his prey, right? And so I, even I, will tear and go away. And so this is showing God's determination. That if God had made this determination, then only God can stop and only God can, can change it, right? And so if God determines, who dares to come against God and his prey? No one. And so let's continue. Verse 15. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. And so this is God's expectation. This is what God wants from Israel, but that's not what Israel is doing. As this suffering happens, they they no longer this suffering this suffering only leads them more to rely on the world. And, but what God wants for them is to see is to acknowledge their guilt and seek their face, to return to His place where He is. And that's what we'll see in chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. This is God's hope. This isn't actually what Israel's doing. Now, of course, because it's God's hope, eventually it comes to fruition through the Messiah, and it'll come into perfect fruition in the end times. But at, during this time, Israel would not be able to hold this. They are not able to turn back towards God. It's when that grace once again un unleashes upon them that they can turn back. Right now, right now they're unable to. And so, and so until the measure of God's judgment is completely filled, uh, uh, they cannot. And so, it's about, it's about the measure of time. And so all we can do is wait for that measure of time to be filled. And at first, that may be hard. That may be um, suffocating. But, but when it comes from the light of, uh, of God, we have to just receive God's determination. We just have to receive His decision, waiting for His time to be fulfilled. But when you wait, you don't just wait yourself. No, you, you, you pray and you continually turn to God. And, and, and who knows, that time that may, may be short and may be long. We don't know. And so, until that time is fulfilled. But ultimately, this is what's going to happen, but it's not here yet. But this is His expectation, that they will acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. And in their distress, earnestly seek me, knowing that, that it isn't Baal, it isn't the world that blesses them, but only God, only God's face grants me grace. Only God's face grants me favor. And so are you seeking his face? Brothers, are you seeking his face or are you looking at his hands? Are you seeking his hands? No, you should seek his face. Okay, back in the day when I would go overseas and come back, my children would come to me and say, Father, you're back. But they wouldn't look at my eyes. They would look at my hands to see whether I brought gifts. <laughs> but, but they need to look at their face, right? Face. And, and so I will return again to my place. And so God is what? He goes to his place to wait for them to acknowledge their guilt and seek his face. So he goes to his holy place, to his throne, and he waits for them. And so if God waits, then what can we do? We have to wait as well. And so as pastors, as you are leading your souls, that's, that's ultimately many times what you have to do. When God is waiting, then you have to wait. Right? Well, pastor, why, why aren't you doing anything? What are you talking about? If God is waiting, what can I do? And so if God waits, we have to wait as well. In our church, there are many people that I'm still waiting for. To be honest, I'm still waiting for many people. There's people uh, here and there who are writing letters to me saying that, Pastor, thank you for waiting for me. Pastor, thank you for waiting for me. And they, they finally realize that I'm waiting for them. And so they're, they're maturing just a little bit. But, but inside, they're like, I, inside, I think to myself, 
do they know how much I've waited? But anyways, and in their distress, earnestly seek me. And so when more suffering, more distress comes upon them, finally they say that God is my hope. And, and so this is the time that God is waiting for. Okay. When people are drowning, uh, the first time that they start drowning, they go crazy, right? They, they wail around and they flail around. If you lay, stretch out your hand to save them then, then you will die too with them because you'll get dragged down with them. But you got to wait for them to lose strength and to kind of pass out. And that's when you raise, you save them, then you both will be saved. And that's what God is kind of doing right now. He's waiting for them to flail and wail and finally be finished, lose their strength. And so in this sense, pastors, you need to be cruel. <laughs> you need to be cold-hearted in this way. And so when you are a warm person, it's hard for you to be cold-hearted this way, right? But, but in a sense, many pastors, you have to be cold-hearted. This, especially in regard to this. And so as I said yesterday in Deuteronomy, right, what is one of the conditions of a Levite is that if God commands you to kill your brother, you need to be able to kill your brother. And so if you are not cold, if you are not firm in, 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 in what God's decisions are, then you cannot be, um, you cannot be a, a priest to God. And so, and so, you know, uh, this word good, right? This can also be a misnomer, right? We think good in the sense of our standards, but it needs to be good in the standard of God. It may not be good to society, but it is good to God, right? And so, so in this sense, pastors, sometimes you need to be cold-hearted. Now, of course, everything that I'm saying is not absolute, but what I'm talking about is is the standard and how God uh, looks to sinners. Now, of course, there are many people who are doing well and then they, they, they stumble. And when they stumble, of course, you're not going to be cold-hearted to them. You want to restore them. But, 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 and so ultimately, you got to keep looking to God. You got to keep looking to God. And there's some people who, who are rebellious all the time. And to them, you kind of need to be cold-hearted. Because let's say that God is taking the side of the uh, side of the person, and yet and yet they're still resisting. Then what can you do? You gotta wait. You gotta wait. You gotta be cold-hearted. You can't you can't keep um, trying to support them because they're going to keep falling. Because they're going to keep falling until they meet with God. So it can't be your strength. It can't be your warmth. It can't be your quote-unquote goodness that is upholding this church member you got to wait for god to to raise that person up you got to wait for god so as pastors you need to wait for god and so look for god's best that everyone needs to be perfect everyone needs to be whole before god that's the standard that you should have not to just drag people by get them across the finish line thinking that oh that's what's best no what's best is is that god controls it's not about your strength your control so we need to be ruthless in a sense Hey. Hey. 
But anyways, God's hope is that they will finally acknowledge their guilt and seek His face and return. And we don't know when, but but this is God's hope. And so as pastors, we need to have the same attitude of God. That if God is waiting, then you shouldn't look at that person. Like let's say this person is rebellion, rebellious, but you don't have the heart that oh, when when is God going to strike him down? That's not the attitude we should have. But we should always have this hope that he will acknowledge their guilt and seek his face and return. Let's say, and even though he's rebelling against you, even though he's striking against you, even if you excommunicate that person, you are not excommunicating them with, from the attitude that, oh, get the hell out of here. No, that even when through excommunication, that God will restore that person. So you, in excommunication, you are opening them up to that, to that opportunity for God. And so that's what excommunication is for. And so in everything that you do, it's, it's in God's hand. And so, and so your, your, your attitude needs to be about saving that person's soul, about, about uh, allowing God to touch that person's soul. And so what am I saying here? Why am I saying this? Well, going here and there is because it's not about you. You're not the standard. There was this church member who, who was doing well in our church, but I had to excommunicate them. Why? Because, because their children were suffering here. Their children were dying here. Even though they themselves were doing well. And, you know, honestly, like, this is the attitude that I have is that I'm not the one who can save them, right? I am not the one who can, who can, who can do that. And so, of course, if they're going to just die here, then... then better for them to find opportunity for God to touch their lives elsewhere and so I could not keep them here with, with good conscience so what you need to understand is that God he's not judging to end you no when he judges is to find is so that you can acknowledge your guilt and, and seek his face and seek him So live by the Spirit. That's what's important. So now let's enter into chapter 6. Okay, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. This is the first section. And this is, again, uh, God's expectation, his, his, his hope for Israel. Even now, Israel has not fulfilled this word, but this is God's hope for them. Come, let us return to the Lord. So God's expectation for Israel is this, is return, shub. Though it's impossible for them at that time, but this is God's hope for them, that for He has torn us, that He may heal us. He has struck us down, and He will bind us up. And so look, when we return, it's not that we are returning to to be under guilt, but we are returning because He has already prepared restoration for us. He has already determined how to restore us. So that's why repentance is possible for us. If Let's say that God has, we don't know God's heart and we're to return, then this is actually a conflict, right? It's something that you are unsure of and because you're uncertain, let's say that you return to God and God tears you down. Let's say you return 
And the moment you come back, God was waiting to cast you out again. Then that's the tragedy, right? But we can go back. Why? Because God is ready to forgive us. He has already determined to forgive us. And He has already determined to restore us. Amen? And so we can turn back to God at any time. Right? That's, that's the parable of the prodigal son. Right? When it says that he returned to his father, what, what, what was the, how was it translated? It was translated that he came to himself. And so when he was away from the father, he didn't realize who his father was. And when he didn't realize who his father was, he didn't realize who he was. But when he returns to his father, he came to himself. He realized who he is, that the father has already forgiven him, and that in that forgiveness is righteousness. And so I am restored to my father. And so because he returns to his father, he came to himself. Right? And Isaiah 44 says the same thing. They are taken exile into Babylon, but as they're being taken to exile, Babylon, what do they realize? They realize that God has already forgiven them, that God has already restored them, and that and, and so that's why they're able to live in exile and, and prosper in exile, because all they have to do is wait for, is to return. Return to God. All we have to do is make sure that our direction to God is proper. It doesn't take many words. All you have to say is, Father, I'm sorry. Father, forgive me. I was deceived. And just blame it everything on the devil. Blame everything on the devil. That's all you have to do. It's all, I was deceived by the devil. That's actually the reason why devils exist. Why do you think that they have not yet been judged yet? It's because that's where we can um, loosen our stress in life. Devils are trembling in their boots right now. <laughs> And so let us return to the Lord. Amen. And how can you not receive? Why do you refuse God's love? This amazing love. The, in this righteousness of the blood contains this great glory. And so move on. Verse 2. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. And so, how, and so verse 2 explains verse 1 where he heals us and he will bind us up. So after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. And so what, what is this talking about? You can see this is the resurrection, right? And so God is going to revive southern Judah. Though he has torn them and struck them down, he will heal them and, and bind us up. So what this is talking about is that he is the one who can heal. He is the one who can raise. He is the one who can revive. He is the one who can raise. And so during this time, in the, after the second, uh, during the time of, of, of after the Roman Empire and until the Second World War, right, uh, the diaspora of Jews had no hope, right? They had no hope. They, they, they had no hope for a nation. But during, in the five years of the Holocaust, three, about three years of the Holocaust, um, do you know how many Jews died? Six million Jews died. Six million Jews died. This is a complete genocide, right? Right, there was a similar kind of genocide in Cambodia, um, the killing fields of Cambodia, where, where all the scholars, all the educated people of Cambodia were killed, were killed by the ruling junta. 
And uh, even now, Cambodia is still unable to recover, even though these killing fields happened in the 70s. And at that time, uh, it wasn't 6 million, but 70,000 people died. And even 70,000 people uh, still affecting, still aff still affecting um, uh, the nation of Cambodia right now. But how about 6 million Jews were killed? And yet in 1948, already a nation was built for the Jews. Look at that. This is, this is not something that could be done by the world. But it's because God's promise here. Because he is the one who revives. He is the one who raises them up. This is what is being proclaimed here. And so, as people of God, we can see the great glory of God. But if you're in the world, if you are blinded by the world, you cannot see the history of God. You cannot see God's hands over history. Going beyond that, as the church of God, where are we? What, who are we? If the world enters into us, then we will be blind to God's hands moving throughout history, moving throughout the world. And so he's talking about revival. He's talking about resurrection. And where does resurrection come from? Where does resurrection come from? That's what we need to see in Hosea. Okay, see, see, the problem of Israel at this time was their idea of resurrection is that, you know, they had this idea of resurrection, of revival, where, where, you know, because the seasons were tied to dry season, wet season, right? And during the dry season, it seems as if everything dies. And then during the wet season, everything comes to life. This was tied to Baal, this cycle of the seasons, right? Because Baal was the god of rain, was the god of the storms. And so during the wet season, everything comes to life. And so they thought that Baal was, was, had the power of revival. But here, what is he show, what is Hosea proclaiming? That this power to revive this power to raise up is in God's hands. And where is this judgment fulfilled? It's fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ, right? Where he died and then and then in three days was resurrected. And this is the amazing uh, prophecy of Hosea. And so where is the evidence that, that the Israelites will be revived? It's through the re resurrection of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so... During the during the Seven Day War in, in 1967, uh, who was who was uh, protecting the the Israel during during all these attacks of the Arab of of the of the Arab Alliance? It was the Messiah Jesus Christ. His wings covered over Israel. This is the God that we serve. This is the God who 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 we 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 are under. His hands move throughout the course of history, and we need to be open open our eyes to this and look at this amazing revelation that Hosea opens up. So look, so look, this amazing God, this wondrous God, it loves me. And so that's why Paul says, who can cut me off from the love of Jesus Christ? Nothing can cut me off from the love of God. And so these pure brides who are waiting for that, who are waiting for that, that, that bridegroom, as it as we see in resurrection, that this is my husband. This is my groom that is waiting for that I'm waiting for. And so the life of a woman is what? It's determined by her husband, right? <laughs> I know many women don't like hearing that, but... So verse 3, And so let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. 
And so what is our primary thing? What is our only duty? Is to know the Lord, is to know the Lord. From here, everything flows forth. This is where victory starts. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. And so we don't need to press on to do anything else. All we need to press on to do is to know the Lord. Don't give your strength for anything else. Where is victory determined? Your victory is determined here in knowing the Lord. Okay. Of course, as pastors, we press on to know the Lord, but being a pastor in itself is not knowing the Lord. And so it's not important to be, work hard to be a pastor. It's important for you to press on to know the Lord. Don't allow your pastoral ministry, your pastorship to be your job. I don't know how much of this you are grasping, but really pastors, this calling of, of pastorhood is not, is not a job. It's not for you to be a job. All we have to do is follow after God and know God deeply. That's all it is. And he will lead your pastoral ministry. Believe, believe that God will lead you, right? Now, this doesn't mean that I don't do anything. I don't need to labor. No, but but what I mean is, is you wait for Him. You follow after Him. You go to know Him. Don't, don't do things of your own strength. So let us know the Lord. Let us press on to know the Lord. And so continuing, in verse 3, it says, Lo, know the Lord. Who is this Lord? In, in Exodus, Exodus 13, 13, in Exodus 13, where it says, something I don't know I don't know Hebrew but it says to let us know God let us know the Lord let us know our God and so he uses these two words for God right uh, Yahweh and Elohim right? Yahweh is know the Lord and then know Elohim God well, who is Elohim? Elohim is the God who created the universe. When we see Genesis, he uses the word Elohim when he creates the heavens and the earth. But when he creates man, what does he use? He uses the word Yahweh. Yahweh is about our relationship. It's not power. Elohim is about power. Yahweh is about relationship. That I am who I am. That I am who I am in that relationship. Having that fellowship with him. God who has created man. This is the clear distinction. When creation is created, uh, it uses Elohim God. But when man is created, Yahweh God. And then so when these two are combined, we need to know both. We need to know the Lord, know our God. But here, when it says, let us know the Lord, who is this talking about? This is talking about Yahweh, right? This, re this, this, this relationship in, in, within the context of relationship. So in your faith, it's about your relationship to God. Let us know the Lord. This is again, let us know that relationship. What relationship do I have with God? So if you lose sight of that relationship, 
then God becomes Elohim. He just simply becomes a power. That, oh, I need power. All I need is power. And so you can no longer treat God as a personality. You no longer treat God as a person. And you lose that personhood of God. And that's the problem. It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. Why can you not feel love? Because you do not acknowledge Him as a person. That's why you do not feel His love. And God's love, is God's love the same love as the love that my father had for me? Then this is, again, someone who doesn't know God. Because, look, many of you was hurt by God or by your father, was hurt by your father and, and had all these wounds towards your father. And if you feel that the, sa- that the love is the same, that the love of God is the same as your father, then, then, then you know, you, that's actually going to cause you to have this kind of, uh, you're going to draw away from God. So look, um, that's why it's so important to heal all your hurts towards your father because, because it's hard for you to receive the love of God then. And actually, that's one of the most important um, aspects of deliverance, of casting demons out. Because you need to love the person, but at the same time hate the demon that is oppressing them. And this is again Yahweh and Elohim. This is the reason why... This is the reason why many people fail in casting out demons is because they need to hate the demon but they but they can't separate the demon from the person and and, and so they need to love the person but they but they can't separate the person from the demon and so so they don't know what to love and what to hate but and so this is what it comes this comes from receiving Elohim and Yahweh as one and then also because many times you and, and in order to do this what do you need to do you, you need to uh, be healed of your wounds to your father because when you say father you should be filled with that love of and yet many people when when you say father you, you you're filled with rage right And so, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. Right? As the dawn comes, right? This dawn is certain, right? And and the dawn, the first light of dawn, is, is bright, right? And it always comes. It's certain. And so, in the same way, as we know the Lord and as we press on to know the Lord, what we will realize is that no matter how much we suffer, the suffering isn't because God is trying to kill us, but because He loves us and He wants to restore us. That's what He's saying to know us, that this is His relationship with you, that He wants to restore you. And so no matter what the world may say, what is Israel? Israel is, what does God say He, he says about Israel? Is that they, he, they are the apple of my eye. Israel is the apple of my eye. How much does he love Israel that they, that they are the apple of his eye? What is the apple of his eye means? It is the most sensitive and also the most precious, the most valuable. That, that God responds to them whatever they do. When they sin, he responds. When they do something well, he responds to them. He, is, he has this sensitivity towards them. And so that's what he's saying is to know, know how much the Father loves us. Know how much God loves us. And so, and so just as his going out is as sure as the dawn. Then, 
that as it says in verse 15 of chapter 4 or 5, I will return again to my place, right? And so waiting at any time to for them to seek Him, waiting at any time, waiting for them. And that's the promise of God, is that when that time is fulfilled, you will return to me. And when you return to me, I am ready to receive you. And so at any time, we can turn to Him. We can turn to Him. He is waiting at all times to receive you. And so uh, he will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains, the waters, the earth. Okay, and so verse 4. So now he goes back to judgment in verse 4 to 11. And he, he brings judgment and, and, and scolding to, to this foolish Ephraim. And so verse 4 to 6 is showing us how we can repent. The reason why we can repent. When God waits for us, he's not just waiting for us. He's waiting for us to repent. And yet, why were they unable to repent? So let's look at this. It's the same thing to us. If we repent, then God is ready to, to forgive us and restore us. But when, is, when can we know that heart of His? It's when we repent. When we repent, He will restore us. But we don't repent. Why do we not repent? This is what's being shown in verses 4 through 6. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? This is God's cry. God wants to restore. He wants to forgive. But they're not returning to Him. And so, what shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud like the dew that goes away early away and so because they so we normally we should receive grace and and through that grace that our god loves me and that he has made me righteous and that you have restored my dignity you have restored my righteousness that is grace right that is hesed right the the love that's written here right is is the word hesed and this grace so earlier it says to return and and when he returns, he doesn't just return you, he doesn't just receive you, but he receives you as this holy bride, right, by restoring your dignity. But the problem is, is, is that this said they treat it lightly, they treat it like a morning cloud. And, but what we need to understand is that without grace, we cannot live. But when we are influenced by the world, the critical hit that we receive is that is that we cannot feel this love. We cannot feel this grace. We take grace lightly. But in the New Testament era, right, as it says in Mark 16, that, that grace we receive, and the more we receive, the more we will receive. Um, and that's what grace is. The moment you feel like, Oh, this is enough. Then, then even what you have is taken from you, and so we and so we need to keep receiving, keep receiving. So, what does it say in Galatians? What does Paul say in Galatians? That grace is everything. That without grace, that I am cut off from the the, the communion. I am cut off from Jesus, and so without grace, I cannot do nothing. I need grace. I need grace, and so everything for grace, right? When Paul talks about grace in Galatians. And so in the place of grace, we need to receive grace. Don't just let grace pass you by ever. Okay, we need to receive grace. Even if demons are working, even if there's no presence, you need to absorb all the grace. Amen. Receive all the grace. Even if pastor persecutes you, receive grace. Amen. But the, they lacked grace. And so verse 5, Therefore I have... 
hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. Right? The words of the prophets are also the words of God. And so if, if they received God's words in grace, they would be revived, they would live. And so as it says in Deuteronomy 4, that that Israel was so small and yet in the world they are the greatest of nations. Why? Because why? Because they have the word of God. That's how he praises Israel. Because they have the word of God. And this word of God, even though they were the smallest of nations, were the greatest of nations in all of the world. It was because of what? Because of this word. And so this word is everything. Why does this word make us the greatest in all the world, even though we may be the smallest? It's because what is this word? This is the word that upholds the entire universe. This word is the word that creates the universe. And so, if this word is inside of you, what does that mean? That means that you have relationship with all, of, that, the, that the entire universe is inside of you. And so, but when this word goes against them, what happens? Judgment goes forth like the light. So as I said earlier before then, if when there was grace, as it says in verse 3, it comes like as sure as the dawn. This grace comes as sure as the dawn. But now what is as sure as the dawn? It is judgment, right? My judgment goes forth as the light. God will come, and He always comes. But how is He going to come? Is He going to be this forgiving grace, or is He going to be judgment? The forgiving grace of verse 3, or judgment of verse 4 and 5? And so God comes forth, but let him come forth in majesty and in dignity, right? As it says in Isaiah 50, to rise from your throne, come forth, come forth, O God. And so your holy bride is waiting for you, waiting for you, is waiting for you. Maranatha, come Lord, come Lord, come Lord. He is coming, yes, and he rises like the sun. Verse 6, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And so as Israel's worship fails, they're continually offering offerings, but, but it's corrupted. And so I desire steadfast love, not, not offerings. So what does this mean, that he wants steadfast love? This offering can only be made in steadfast love, but without steadfast love, this offering is syncretic. It's all, it's all polluted by the world. Right? Offering, worship, needs to be under the context of God's grace. God's grace that he has given me, his word that he has given me, his blessing that he has given me. Without all of these things, this offering is just simply ritual. And because they were polluted by the world, this, this worship, this offering was corrupted. There must be grace that, where this offering is right. And so, uh, I, knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And so burnt offerings, what does this show? This shows their commitment to God. And yet God doesn't want to receive that commitment. Why? Because they are polluted. They do not know God because they lack knowledge of God, who God is, what God's love is, the greatness of God, the majesty of God. Because they lacked all of these things, all they're doing is committing for what? For blessing. And so God doesn't want this polluted uh, worship. So we need to know God. We need to know God deeply. Know who He is, His scale, His majesty, His dignity. Acknowledging all of these things as we commit ourselves to Him. As we de devote ourselves to Him. Amen? That is true worship. Your worship isn't just a simple ritual. It's not a method. It's not a set of 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 of, of what's the word I'm looking for? of tenets, of doctrines that you just practice. No. So hallelujah, we're almost finished. Let's continue. Let's continue.
or 7 to 11. We're almost finished now. And so from 7 to 11, he's now talking about the judgment towards the priest and, 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 the, and the offering. When they are corrupted, there's no hope. And so... And then finally, uh, so verse 7 to 9, and then verse 10 to 11, finally he commit, uh, proclaims judgment against the house of Israel. But so anyways, verse 7, but like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. And there is a place called Adam. So this Adam isn't Adam uh, in Genesis, but, but this place of Adam. And this place was a place of idol worship. And so like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. And so what does this mean? That the priests themselves were transgressing the covenant. That the priests themselves were offering, were having these, these festivals for fertility, these rituals for fertility. And so look, honestly, what does this mean? That a man who is not saved has no right to worship God. And it's this reason why there's so much limitations in the worship because you are bringing people who shouldn't be in the worship. But at the same time, it's not as if we can, we can just cut them off, right? So what are we to do then? That's the dilemma, right? Is is we need to pray for them to to have that salvation, to receive salvation from God. That's what's most important. But but what does what is this talking about? Transgress the time covenant is, is these priests who have no salvation, these priests who are not saved are offering this worship and so so this worship is, is, is corrupted, is polluted and this kind of worship is just simply rebellion, rebellion against God. And what is rebellion? Rebellion means that you are not acknowledging him as king because his, com his kingship is command and you would follow his command but you do not even know his command and you do not know the meaning behind his command and so how can you offer worship? And so continuing in verse 8, Gilead is a city of evildoers tracked with blood. And Gilead, Gilead Ramoth, this is again a city and what is Gilead Ramoth? Gilead Ramoth. This is a city of refuge. And what is a city of refuge? It's, let's say that you accidentally killed someone. Or it's a place where you can go to take refuge, right? Where you, where you would not suffer vengeance. And But this place is where blood is spilled. What does this mean? That means that... that Right, it, this city was set apart so that uh, more bloodshed would not be spilled. But yet, this but this evil is being done where this blood is being spilled. That this is a place where you should not be able to kill that person, but that person is being killed. Why? Because we'll see the explanation in verse nine. So what happens? As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. And so what is Shechem? Shechem is in the land of Ephraim. And in that way to in, in that road, they're waiting to kill the person. Why? Because if they want to repent, they need to go to either Bethel or 
they need to go to Bethel to 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 offer sacrifice to be forgiven. But the problem is, is that if they go there, that they might be killed because the person might come, the vengeance seeker might come and kill them there. And so instead of going there, they go to Ram, Gilead Ramoth to get. Uh, but in order to go to there, they have to go through Shechem, and so they wait for them to they kill to kill them in Shechem. And so, why? Because they are looking for this. Why do they ha they justify this through religious uh, religious laws? They use these religious laws to justify their own desires. And so, what does this? What is this showing? This is showing how filled with the spirit of religion they were. And, and so what does the spirit of religion do? It, it, it leads you to murder. It leads you to be able to kill. And so that's why what's dangerous is, is theology. Theology is danger because only life brings life. Theology brings death. Theology brings murder. And so these priests were, were, were killing people for their religion. That's the problem. So now verse 10. And now it's the evil of Israel as a whole. It's the evil of syncretism. In the house of Israel, I've seen a horrible thing. Horrible, right? Horrible, terrifying thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. And this is, again, idolatry. And as we said, idolatry, right? Um, festivals for fertility. What we need to understand is that if the worship that we offer in our church is it must not be influenced by the world because when it is it will quickly and smoothly become this kind of uh, of of debased worship of corrupted worship and it will make them easily be influenced by the world and so when these things flow to the church what happens to the church members is that these things the, the the church members Okay, no, so what's important is, is that when these things go in, you need to pray to God that He would continue to shine His light in the worship so that they could see that these worldly things are influencing them, is seeping into them, so that they can see and reveal these things so that they can repent, so that they can turn back to God. And then, so, then, once again, that's why it's important for pastors to have that clear uh, boundary for their holiness, to make sure that their standard of holiness is clear. Because once they fall into that cycle of wickedness, it's hard to get out of it. And so, pastors, you need to always be aware of church members who may have that influence of the world. You need to be aware because not not to stop them or cut them off, but you need to be aware so that so that you, where where the attack comes and, and and that you would not just compromise with it, that you would just not tolerate it, that you would not just uh, leave it idle so that it can fester and grow. No, you got to keep praying and and, and 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 looking to God, right? For example, if your toilet gets clogged. You can, if it's just lightly clogged, you can pump it out right with a plunger, right? And, and help that plumbing go through. But if it gets clogged very severely, what do you need? You need to call the plumber and the plumber needs to tear down the plumbing system in order to loosen it. It's the same thing, right? You need to, that's why you need to always be aware of what's going on so that it's easier for you and so that it's more smooth for the church, not just for you, but for the church. 
or else it'll get so clogged up that even though the even though the word is being proclaimed that the, the that the water of life doesn't even touch them because it can't break through the hardness of that blockage and and that's the danger of just of not being aware of these kinds of people and not not praying out of that awareness anyways let's continue so be careful of syncretism verse 11 verse 11 is two sentences but but when I restore the fortunes of my people this should be first I want to talk about this looks positive right and and this is actually that's why it's connected chapter 7 verse 1 but what is connected to verse 10 is for you also O Judah a harvest is a point okay I guess in Korean it's reversed the order but the English order is proper so so for you also a Judah for you also O Judah a harvest is appointed So even Judah also is being continually influenced by the world. And so so God cannot leave them alone. And so the Israelites, through this suffering, they will come, uh, there will come a time where they are restored and, 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 and turned back. And we also need this too, many times. If we enter into this kind of worldly cave, then, there, then it's better for us to go through this kind of hardship so that we can turn. And there is a difference between Israel and us because they are the chosen people and we are Gentiles. And so we do not have this DNA of turning to God all the time. And so, and so in this difference, uh, we have one advantage, which is what? Which is the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. I remember one time I went to a worship with Orthodox Jews and what was amazing is that there was not a single drop of anointing and yet they were able to uh, worship for hours on end with the Word of God, like constantly with the Word of God. But I don't know. I don't know how they do that. There's no anointing, and yet they're able to do so. Why? Because in their DNA uh, flows that 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 tight that word of God. But that's the DNA of Israel, and so they can live that way. But we, as Gentiles, we cannot live that way, because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We need to live by the anointing, and so in the suffering, Israel can live, but we cannot. We cannot go through 2,000 years. No, not even two years. I won't even be able to stand two hours. As Gentiles, we are a little bit different from the situation of Israel. So from this perspective, we cannot... Uh, we cannot deny this difference. Though the essence is the same, we cannot deny this difference. And so for us, what's more important is to hurry up and return to God, to turn back to God and repent, right? So keep looking for that anointing and continuing. And so that's why let us pray. Let us pray in repentance and seek God's favor. So let's pray powerfully that within me, that ah, ha, ha, I would say that the world is nothing, that I would look down on the world, 
that all the unbelief and the syncretism of the world would be removed from my heart, that there would not be any hint of, of worldliness in my heart, that there would not be any nuance, any smell, any odor of the world remnant on me. So as pastors, that we would have the confidence to, to say that it's easy to live with God, that this perfect relationship with God, I would meet with Him, and that even today, that His joy, His confidence would overflow in me. Hallelujah. That no matter what I pray to God, that He will answer, that we would have this confidence and this satisfaction. Amen. That, that Lord, I am satisfied in You, that I don't need anything else, that all I need is You, Lord. All I need is You. There's nothing else we need to pray for. Let us pray for this tonight, today. That, Lord, all these hardened things would be loosened. That, that my darkness, that my, my, my alienation would all be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That within me, once again, that I would be filled with faith in you. And so confidence in you, satisfaction in you. If you are to pray, continue to pray. Lord, anoint us. Anoint us. That the power of your life would overflow in our community. That the power of the prophecy would continually overflow inside of us. That it would fill us powerfully in this place. Let's pray for one more thing. This is God's will. God wants to pour out the powerful anointing of prophecy upon you. Honestly, as apostles, I, I, it's really hard for me to receive the prophetic anointing. And so I don't, I don't really know why. I don't really know why right now. But, but, but and yet, right now, as I go through these prophets, the books of prophecies, though they're, it's really difficult for me, Look at how clear God speaks through this, right? This, 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 this two days and three, three, two days, two nights and three days. Look at how accurate God is, how clear He is. And so, Lord, in this time, we need your prophetic anointing. Like the powerful prophecies of Hosea, these prophecies that are right on target, we need them in our church. And so upon each and every single church, pour out this anointing. May they overflow. Amen, Lord, we thank you. I want to lay hands, but it's already one o'clock. So let's just end. Or should I lay my hands? Oh, I don't know why. What's up with me today? But, but Lord, pour out your anointing as I lay hands. So let's pray one more time. For the, the anointing of prophetic anointing. Uh, the prophetic anointing. So yearn for it. That the prophetic spirit would work powerfully because this is the season for that and so whether it's your own being or your church members that that everyone would be filled with this prophetic anointing because there's so much darkness this day and age and so we really need uh this prophetic anointing to show us where it's here it's there it's it's now it's it's then
And so, Lord, as I lay my hands, Father, may this powerful anointing be poured out upon your servants. Let us pray all together.